you know, growing up, I felt, you know, so much of the pain, but also the beauty of the stutter for me was the way it's, you know, it feels like it, you know, it alters time in a certain way. I'm Maya Chupkov, and I'm a woman who stutters. And I'm Cynthia Chin, Maya's longtime friend, and I know nothing about stuttering. And this is Proud Stutter, a podcast about stuttering and embracing verbal diversity in an effort to change how we talk about it, one conversation at a time. Welcome back to Proud Stutter. I am so excited to be talking today to the one and only Jerome Ellis. Jerome is a black stuttering animal who practices performance, music, and poetry. He is also a person who stutters. Jerome recently released an album titled The Clearing. The Guardian describes his album as a profound and richly textured 12-track album that blends spoken word and storytelling with ambient jazz and experimental electronics to create a soundscape that is both meditative and theatrical. Jerome, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Maya, so much for having me. I'm so grateful to be here with you. So, Jerome, I absolutely loved your album. It was truly one of the most beautiful pieces of music and poetry I've ever listened to. And I sincerely mean that because, you know, I've never really connected so much to music before like I, I've grown up listening to music but um but I don't know it's just never really spoke to me in in as an emotional way as yours did and I think it's because it was really an entirely new experience for me it was beyond emotion it was transcendent which I know um is a word that's used through um intermittently in the album. So before we get to your album, I wanted to ask some questions about your stutter specifically. And the first one is, when did you first notice you had a stutter and what was it like growing up? Oh, thank you, Maya, so much. Thank you for your kind words. It really means so much to hear. I I think I, I noticed it probably in elementary school sometime. It was interesting because I was in this improvisation, theatrical improvisation, problem-solving troupe called um, Odyssey of the Mind. We would, it was a group of maybe five or six or seven students, and we would be on stage and we would compete with other schools um, in these like improvisation challenges. So I'd be on stage and I really loved doing it. But I remember then when I went into middle school around the age of 12 that I was thinking, oh, I would love to be an actor because I love to be on stage so much. And then I thought, oh, but wait, I have a stutter. And so that's not going to work. Like, I'm not allowed to be an, an actor. You know, I didn't know about, you know, James Earl Jones, <clears throat> Marilyn Monroe and these other actors with stutters. So, you know, so around elementary schools when I learned that I, had one, which I I found really interesting because I wonder, you know, what what I approached, how my approach was before I like learned that I had stutter. Part of what I'm trying to do with the clearing is actually 
with the work is to try to like undo some of the things that I that has been told to me about stuttering that it's you know a pathology. Can you tell us more about what it was like growing up with a stutter? Yeah, growing up it was you know very. I definitely felt weird a lot of the time, and like, and I that I didn't have the language to even express how weird the ways in which I felt weird or that I stood out. I, I, I think gradually I started to notice that my stutter would appear more frequently with certain kinds of people. Like I would notice that I would stutter less frequently with with people whose gender expression seemed to be more female than people whose gender expression seemed to be more male. I would stutter very little with children, with with other children, or with animals. Would stutter more with adults. Um, so gradually, and I started to observe these things about this very mysterious, you know, creature living in inside me. You know, um, one that I have come to love so much. But for many for many years, I. I regarded my stutter as like a curse, you know, something I wanted to get rid of. We've interviewed, I think, about um, five or six guests now. And I think you're the first person who's brought up uh, how your stuttering changes depending on who you're talking to. And I love that you brought up animals because you, you call yourself an animal as well. And, you know, I don't even think about talking to animals in that kind of way why do you think it is that talking to animals specifically you don't have a stutter well I think part of the experience was a fear of being judged or a fear of being of being thought that I was weird a fear fear that I would be interrupted a fear that someone would think I was stupid and these are fears that I just don't feel when I talk to animals like I'll go to the zoo and just like talk to the animals I love to talk to animals and I was so afraid you know in school of just people, yeah, people making fun of me or thinking I'm, you know, weird again or stupid. But these animals, you know, I would just talk to the the birds. And my grandma had had a bunch of birds in Eastern Parkway in Brooklyn, New York, um, in her apartment. And I, I love to be with those birds. And yeah, I've just felt very, you know, very, um, very safe from, from the fears of, um, all the pressures surrounding speech with humans, all the like, all the performance involved in it, you know. Um, you know, in school, I would sometimes raise my hand and then be called on, and I knew the answer, but I would stutter so much that sometimes I couldn't even say the answer. And then I would think like, oh, does, this, does the teacher think, think that I'm, I'm not as smart as I am? You know how they suggest for people with stage fright to imagine everyone naked? Do you imagine everyone as animals? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I've never actually, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I've ever tried that before. I really love that as an idea. You know, it, it's, 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 I, I, so much of the pain that I experienced growing up with stuttering is that it, it felt like a barrier to connecting with people, you know, and now, now I don't feel like that so much, you know, now I often find stuttering becomes the bridge that, that can connect me with people, um, including with you two, you know, we, we, we might, might not be talking if it weren't, it weren't for, if it weren't for the stutters, I'm very grateful for that. So I love that idea of thinking of matching the audience as um, animals. And, you know, stage fright is so interesting because I, 
what I what I have what I found very gradually, you know, as a performer as an adult is that is that the stage actually for me also became another kind of safe space for my stutter because even though you know like many people I at first would feel a lot of stage fright, what I gradually learned is that m most audiences that I've been in front of at least they're very respectful of the stutter in a way that some people in in the street in daily life might not be you know so many of my experiences performing on stage i feel that the audiences just will just wait as long as as long as they they want because that's part of what being an audience member is 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 to listen i was the same way growing up i always wanted to be on stage and i loved performing it was where i felt most alive and my stuttering did hold me back a lot in trying out for you know, those acting um, gigs at school. That's why I doing a podcast resonated so much with me because it is kind of like I'm a performing and it just, it fills the space in my heart that I've been wanting it to fill for such a long time. I'm so glad to hear that you have this space, Maya. That's really very important. I'm so glad you found, find that. It can be so painful when we have the need to create, but we don't, we don't have the, the outlet for it. Yeah. And I always thought like I wasn't creative and all these things. And I just never really gave myself the opportunity to create. And so it's, it's the best, it's the best feeling in the world. And um, I'm just so thankful to be able to have this platform to connect and, um, and be cr creative. When did you first think of how you could connect your stutter to music? And have you always been into to music? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's only been, you know, very recently, around 2015 or so, my friend James Harrison Monaco, um, who I, he and I have been collaborating for some years now, since about 2008, um, we create live performance and theater together. And um, we were working on this piece called Ink, a piece for museums. And it's, um, it's, it's like an art lecture and concert at the same time. So we use like a slideshow style art lecture images with live music that we created and it was the first in that show and it's also like at the same time a a personal essay and in that show which we pre premiered at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York for whom we we, we like really made the piece um, was the that piece was the first time that I spoke about stuttering on stage spoke about it directly and um, and since then, I've spoken more and more about it directly and, and woven it more and more into my work. As I became a musician, I also noticed that music is a way that we, we, we can alter time, you know. So I grew up around a lot of West Indian music. And the first music that I really came to on my own was European classical music, a lot of Mozart and Beethoven and then jazz. And it was when I started playing the saxophone, it wasn't when I was really listening to a lot of jazz um, around the age of 
of 13. And, um, you know, you know, in, 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 in being surrounded by these different kinds of music and jazz, particularly with its, with its deep practices of improvisation, you know, and also, um, ex jazz, um, you know, jazz's history with, with jazz as, as a black music, you know, really, um, I really resonated with it as, as someone black, as someone interested in black history, as someone also who is very used to improvising, as many stutters are, you know, through the use of synonyms or finding other ways to say things. So, you know, I think there was an early connection between jazz, jazz's improvisation and stuttering's improvisation that, you know, it only took me, it, you know, it took me some years to be able to really think about that, but um, I think, I think when I started playing the piano also around the age of 15, I started to be able to like, you know, I started to be able to like create these like sonic worlds and these sonic worlds that felt like, you know, refuges in time, you know, and I feel like so much, I feel like I would go to the piano so much to heal myself from the from the temporal pain that I would feel during the day with so much of it connected with stuttering, you know, that I would have an encounter at school. Yeah. Like I said, with like raising my hand and the teacher would call me and I would, couldn't say the answer. And that was painful. And part of the pain had to do with, you know, time that, you know, I didn't say the answer in the right amount of time. And I feel like so much of my piano practice became like, I would go to the piano and just like, you know, try to heal from the wounds um, that I had experienced. And um, with poetry, you know, something also of, there's a kind of liberation that I feel in poetry that stuttering, of course, so much of the pain that I have experienced in connection with stuttering, I don't think stuttering is the cause. I think it's in connection with stuttering and certain ableist, you know, expectations in the world. So much of the pain, I think, also comes from, you know, it comes from time, but also comes from language that I'm, I've had many years of this experience of, like, language being, I'm at odds with language, you know, that I, I know what I need to say, but I can't say it in the time that I want to say it. And with poetry, it feels like there's so much freedom that I get to explore with language and I get to I get to escape also the like utilitarian or bureaucratic uses of language that's so much of the day-to-day -day. Um, so poetry as another music as a space of liberation poetry as a space of liberation you know and and and, and healing I listened to your album last night as well and I I thought it was amazing and one thing that I really, really felt from your album is this sort of meditative quality. Um, I mean, of course, in the music, but also just in the way that you speak. Um, and I remember distinctly, I mean, this is all kind of, um, I think, relevant because of everything that you're saying about it being healing. I think the way that you 
portrayed your interactions, you know, instead of what I see a lot when it comes to the stuttering narrative. This one track that you had, um, I remember it very clearly. Um, it was a recording of you asking for um, a specific book on the phone. You first told her and disclosed to her that you had a stutter and that it may take some time for your words to get out. And for some reason, I could feel on the other side of the line that she was just like, okay. And, and was patiently waiting. You know, I, I could have, for some reason, I didn't imagine her kind of like, you know, clicking her fingers. I just felt like the whole thing was, was really, really healing for me too, to hear an interaction like that and to see so much positivity and to, to see everything between the lines too um, from that short interaction. Oh, Cynthia, thank you so much for saying, sharing that. That's really so meaningful to hear. I'm so glad. Yeah, that's so the goal is, you know, is to is to offer healing. So hopefully the album is able to contribute a little bit to that. I think it's important to include both the bookseller part one and part two, you know, that both are, I think, valid approaches. Because, the, because what I'm not saying, of course, is that is that the stutterer should always disclose the stutter. I don't think it's so simple as, you know, these rules, like you should always do this or, you know, I think, I think, I think the first part where I, where I don't tell them that I have a stutter that I'm hung up on, that is important too. And that it's not, I think I try to think of, of, of communication as, you know, and, and there's a, scholar named Joshua St. Pierre, who who also is a person who stutters, is a, a, a disability studies scholar. And he writes about, you know, communication as a shared responsibility. I have a responsibility to be, to, to steward the conversation and to be caring in the conversation. And the other person does as well. And to me, it is an act like it, it is one option for me, me to, to disclose that I speak with a stutter. But to me, that is not, it is not a, an outright requirement because to me, the other person also, you know, they're responsible for, you know, for, for, I think, you know, holding space for a wide range of, of communicative possibilities that there are people who are going to get on the phone who need more time, whether they have a stutter or, or, <clears throat> or, or they speak, they, 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 they speak in another way that is not, um, as, um, that is, that is marginalized. So I wanted to talk about track one and track two Track one is called Loops in Retreat, and track two, um, I don't want to butcher this, so Jerome, can, can you say track two for us? Oh, yes, sure. Yes, it's Jede Krankheit ist ein musikalisches Problem. Oh, yeah, I'm glad we didn't try that. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in, 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 in tracks one and two, you talk about the connection between Black history and disfluency. Th throughout this album and in these two clips, you are intersecting blackness, fluency, and music. Can you talk more 
about this connection and why it was so important to you to bring in your album? I think I wanted to, I was interested in speaking from, you know, my, my, my identity, my, my positionality, my political, you know, positionality as, you know, a black person and a disfluent person. And, you know, as, as a black person who stutters, who is a musician, I wanted to, to speak about these three things, you know, these three dimensions, you know, of life that I, you know, have lived in for some time. And I wanted to think about them through time, through, through, through the lens of time, because in recent years I had, you know, I had, I had, I had come across through my friend and great artist, Jalen Levingston introduced me to the scholar Brittany Cooper's TED Talk, The Racial Politics of Time, where she's talking about blackness and time. Um, and, you know, and music and time I've been thinking about for a long, you know, for a long time, you know, about music's relationship to time, the way it shapes and bends and alters and organizes time. And, and then I had been recently thinking about stuttering in time, um, largely also through the writings of, of Joshua St. Pierre. Because Joshua St. Pierre, he writes about how certain disabilities, like if someone uses a wheelchair, that that some of the ways that the the environment can be disabling is through space, you know, through um, not having curb cuts and elevators and ramps, you know, that there that the the person in the wheelchair has to navigate is is at a spatial, you know, a spatial is marginalized spatially. And and St. Pierre talks about stuttering then in terms of as disability as as a marginalization that takes place in time that the stutterer, the person who stutters is often excluded from certain rhythms and expectations of time, you know, and that that can lead to discrimination, you know, in job interviews, things like that, you know. Um, and so I was, so I, so I, you know, so I was thinking about music in time, blackness in time, stuttering in time. So I was like, well, how about we try to think about all four of these things together? And the opening line of the album is um, Lucy Retreat is, you know, my, my thesis is that blackness, disfluency, and music are forces that open time. And by opening, I wanted to speak to the way that time is not allowed to be linear, only linear, when, when, when seen from the vantage point of blackness. Um, disfluency in music. With blackness, you know, uh, Professor Cooper talks about in the TED Talk, Racial Politics of Time, she quotes Hegel, who says essentially that Africa is, like Africa has no influence on world history and that Africans are not historical beings. And so there's this attempt by, you know, by this white European philosopher to exclude Africans from time, 
you know, and, and she talks about, um, you know, she talks about, you know, black, state-sanctioned black death as a, as also a, a loss of time. And then, um, yeah, and, and, and stuttering as we've been talking about, you know, um, has all these interesting relationships to it. So I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to try to think of them together to think with, you know, with, with, with Kimberly Crenshaw's idea of, of the intersection. And that's it for this episode. I'm Maya. And I'm Cynthia. And you've been listening to Proud Stutter. This episode of Proud Stutter was produced by me, Maya Chupkov. And edited by me, Cynthia Chen. Our music was composed by Augusto Denise and our artwork by Mara Ezekiel and Noah Chupkov. If you have an idea or want to be part of future episodes, find us on Twitter at Proud Stutter. You can also find us at www.proudstutter.com. Drop us a note or share a voice memo. What's your stuttering story? What topics would you like us to cover? And what are you curious about? And if you like the show, you can leave us a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. More importantly, tell your friends to listen too. Until we meet again, thanks for listening. Be proud and be you.